You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Flash guest this week, Robert Bohr. How are you doing, Robert? I'm uh, good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to get to kind of shuffle things around a little bit and mix things yeah. up and um, get to to talk with you about a topic that you're really passionate about. So yeah. I always love when we do ones where maybe it's just the two of us, but we're still talking about a topic. I know we've done a, a couple of those throughout the years, but it's always a its own version of, of fun. So let me tell yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, and especially since we shifted away from doing those, um, like those little, you know, five-ish minute intros that mm-hmm. we used to do, um, yeah. those have actually, obviously, like we don't have those anymore. So we just kind of jump in with our, our guests and the conversation with our guests. So it's a lot of fun to to mix things up and talk about some stuff between us. So it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, I know with today's conversation, you and I had kind of, um, you know, A, had realized that we hadn't had like a just us chat in a while. Um, and B, re- we realized that we also really haven't had a conversation about teens in general for yeah. some time. And obviously, you know, we're still about a month or two into the school year, depending on where you live across the country. Um, and so as that's still starting up, we just thought it might be a good time to revisit um, as we were just talking about those layers of uniqueness that is that happened during this stage of adolescence. Um, especially for our listeners who work with teens, whether as faith leaders or mental health care providers, or for you know folks who may be parents of teens or caregivers um, of teens in, in a number of different capacities. So yeah. I know you were just saying to me before that about 75% of your caseload is with teens and young adults. I know this has been a population you've been really passionate about for a long time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get to learn from you today about, yeah. you know, yeah. your wisdom when it comes to this age group. Yeah. And I know uh, if you've listened to the show for a long time, before I was in kind of mental health, this arena, right, I did uh-huh. college ministry for a little bit, which actually contributed to me wanting to get into this field. And I mm. taught uh, some middle and high school for a couple of years while I was in grad school. So it's definitely right. an area... Uh, that I I really like working with and uh, feel pretty passionate about. That's awesome. Well, I want to. I'd love to hear you expand a little bit more on that. Like, what is it about this this population or this group that you are so passionate about? I love that you already have these past experiences with this age group when it came to teaching and ministry, and obviously now within the mental health field. But what's kind of led you to have this passion for caring for this particular age group? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, the so when we talk about adolescence, right, uh, we're, broadly speaking, usually people tend to think of, of teenagers, but, you know, that, that term is expanding a little bit, some, you know, kind of age 10 to 24, 25, somewhere in there, right? So both sides of that are kind of moving outwards, and we can talk some about that because the kind of two different reasons there. But, I mean, I think that, that broadly speaking, like those age ranges were 
um, particularly hard for me. And so I think, you know, there's kind of that element that that tends to be there for a lot of us of like uh-huh. the thing that was hard for me. How do I help people navigate some of that? Yes, totally. Yep. And then I think it, it's it's such a unique time, especially even if we just say, okay, teenagers or, or, you know, emerging adults or whatever, right? Like that tends to be pretty misunderstood and pretty judgment kind of heaped upon and that's nothing Mm. new i mean we can go all the way back and there's like you know famous philosophers writing or carving or whatever about how the the young people don't pay any attention to the elders Mm. and stuff right so that's kind of always been there but i mean if you go into a bookstore and go in the parenting section or whatever right like oftentimes the the titles there are like surviving the teen years or you know things like that to where it does feel a little bit like hey, if there's some more understanding that can be kind of brought out, then I I think that would be helpful for both sides, right? So yeah, I don't know. I just, I love it. No, that's so good. I really appreciate your, I know, and and some of this is what you're saying now, but some of this has been in past conversations we've had, just your heart for this age group. And um, I, I really appreciate your willingness to share too that like this is an area that was, or a time that was difficult for you in some ways. And so thinking about how do you give back um, is wonderful. Um, So I really appreciate that. There was something you just mentioned a moment ago about how the ages are expanding outward. So it's not just, you know, I'm thinking about 13 to 18 as those teen (laughs) years, but now going to like 10 to 25. So can you say more about that and like why those are expanding outward or the the rationale behind that? Yeah, for sure. And at the end, I know in our, our show notes here that that I dumped some stuff in, I put a bunch of resources at the end and I, okay, I'll yeah. mention all those at the end just to save time for stopping for those throughout because I'm pulling information from from a lot of that, uh, a lot of those resources. Yeah. So when I said expanding kind of, kind of on both sides, right? So when we think about adolescence as like a phrasing, right? Um, it tends to be a time period that uh, begins in biology and ends in kind of like society. And so that that just meaning that typically like when we would say adolescence begins is at kind of the onset of puberty. And we see, but we've seen that moving starting earlier and earlier, right? In, in young children, you know, 10, uh-huh. things uh-huh. like that, right? To where the onset of some of those kind of biological markers, right? Of like development, puberty starting. Uh-huh. And so that, that yep. is moving kind of downwards. And then when I said, ends in society, right? That that tends to be like, okay, what are the markers of adulthood, right? And mm. so if you think back at one point, if it was like, you know, graduating and getting married and buying a house and having kids and or whatever, you know, being self-sustaining, getting a job, whatever, whatever the things you would say like, okay, this is where you transition into adulthood. Those mm. tend to be pushing later and later, which can be I don't think is inherently a bad thing. I mean, I know it's easy to go, okay, people are living with a parent, you know, but obviously a lot of that is societal in terms of for Western American culture or, you know, Western culture as a whole, like that's different than other cultures, right? So uh, when I say kind of eight or 10 to 25-ish, right, like that's largely from an American viewpoint because that's what I work with mostly, obviously. So that's like what I tend to research and things. Um, But that's why, I'm, you know, that the second half of that we can, some some people break that into like emerging adulthood if you want its own technical term kind of this new in between right like college to late college to just out of college and maybe I'm still on my parents healthcare or whatever right like kind of that 
amorphous, you know, some people would, would break that into emerging adulthood or like late adolescence or something. But I think broadly speaking, we can kind of say, okay, that time chunk 10 to 25 ish, right, is, is what we're talking about. Yeah, no, that's great. I think it's really interesting too how you had framed that a lot of the those markers for the onset are more biological markers. I think it's interesting that on the other side of it, they're more social or behavioral yeah. markers and how even that, even the inconsistency and in, I mean, like my researcher measurement side is like, it's <laughs> so fascinating that we measure it differently um, yeah. based on which end of it. But but that makes sense in terms of how things have evolved biologically with the earlier age and and uh, lots of social structures and systems that have changed yeah. that re- that end up uh, resulting in those behavioral or social markers changing on the later end of it. Yeah. So yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I know something that you're really passionate about too when it comes to teens is that a lot of times we may have some misunderstandings or there may be some real quick, you know, phrases or comments or uh, ways that we dismiss, I think, the hmm. experience of teens yeah. that I have loved watching how you you really try to help us debunk those or really rethink hmm. them in a way that's like, yeah, that might be a catchy phrase of what it, you know, of of what a teen's experience might be like, but that's ac- that's not completely accurate. Um, yeah. And in, in I know we've talked about this before on when we had, oh gosh, I can't remember, I can't remember what episode it was, but we were talking about like, for example, sleep and how we need to mm. rethink about when our teen school starts because mm-hmm. of their sleep schedules or things like that. So anyways, all that to say, can you kind of bring to light some of the misunderstandings that we have about teens and maybe invite us to think about those in new ways? Yeah. Yeah. I love that that framing because I know I just to peel back the curtain, right? Like I I prepped this one and I, I put a couple things in the the show notes there, but I didn't I didn't put a lot in there, I'll say. And so you're doing a brilliant <laughs> job of uh, filling in like well, between my bullet points to, you, my to make it make sense. Thank you. We've but, been doing this for a little bit. So yes, I yeah. think we, you know, can pick up where we need to and run. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I think uh, the three, you know, we, as I was thinking about it when I, you know, when I was like driving or whatever, when I was brainstorming, I was thinking, you know, kind of three common or like three important lens changes or something. I don't know, something like, yeah. you know, three things that we want to shift our 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 view on towards teenagers. Yes, um, great. I'm going to name it that when I edit it, just a huge rambling sentence in the, oh, you're doing the, great. the title. Um, <laughs> but so for the first one, right, I think, you know, I tried to make them a little bit pithy, but the idea that teens aren't being or adolescents, right, aren't aren't being over dramatic and it's not all hormones. Yeah. Um, and so this one right. gets into yeah. a lot of brain development stuff that I think is super, super fascinating. Uh, the obvious caveat being that I'm not a neuroscientist by like trade. I just read a lot of books on the teenage brain. So mm-hmm. uh, I just think it's really fascinating. So if you're a neuroscientist and you're like, this is wrong and you're terrible, that's okay. But so in general, right, if you think, if you picture a brain turned sideways, right? I know people, somebody's like driving and they're like, this is terrible. Why are you describing it? No, but if you think great. of a brain yeah. like sideways, right? 
So the brain, when you're a toddler, right, when you're a baby and all that, it develops kind of from the bottom back, which is like, you know, the brainstem part, which is highly emotional, all your survival stuff, right, around the top up to the front, right? So this makes sense if you think about my kids, your kids, young kids, right? When they're very young, a baby just cries. It doesn't know that it's trying to get food, right? It's not going, I am hungry. I will cry. Mom will come, right? Right, right. It's just crying. It's all instinct. And then, so my kids are toddlers or I guess Gray is kind of just a, a kid now, right? But he mm-hmm. has a little bit more kind of regulation and some of that, but still very, very hard for him, right? When things are very upsetting, the kind of emotional activation happens yeah. very strongly. And all of the uh, executive functions, right? Kind of the frontal cortex, the part behind your forehead, not as strong yet, right? He's still developing. He's still learning all of that. It's, it's pretty hard, right? So when you're a teenager, right, when you go through adolescence, when you go through puberty, the brain basically upgrades itself entirely. You get more complex thought. You get at the end of Inside Out, right? They get like the new the new board, the bigger expanded Oh my gosh, board. I remember that. I love yes. that. And it's like, okay. um, oh gosh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So your brain basically during adolescence uh, has a heightened period of neuroplasticity again, just like when you're a kid, which just means your brain can rewire itself based on your experiences, right? So it goes back up right there. And it's basically upgrading itself over a, a pretty long process throughout those years, right? So that as an adult, you can do more complex, whatever, 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 right? It does that in the same order that it originally developed in, which is from the back bottom up around okay. to the uh-huh. front. Which means basically, right, so Dr. Lawrence Steinberg has a, a brilliant, I think, like metaphor for this in his book, Age of Opportunity, which is like if you were, if you had a car and you were going to upgrade your whole car and you started mm-hmm. with the engine and the gas pedal mm-hmm. before you upgraded the steering wheel or the brakes, that's mm-hmm. kind of what's happening, right? Because the emotional center upgrades itself and is working at like a higher capacity first, yeah, and then it's that working, makes sense. It's, right? So it's upgraded. So when we think about teenagers, right, and people say, oh, they're so hormonal or they're so dramatic, right? Well, that part is has upgraded and is running at a, a higher speed, a higher capacity yeah. first before any of the the executive function, the planning, the, the all of that, right? Like that, yep. it, it's just what is, it's what's happening, right? It's and kind so of like it, they need like a calibration stage for all of the pieces to start learning how to work in sync with each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so when I when I said you know I kind of labeled this one like they're not being over dramatic, right? I think it's the idea that like our teenagers have are they perhaps more emotional and have heightened experiences? Sure, but that, that that's not dramatic in a like they are playing it up kind of way or whatever, right? And there's also uh-huh. for the record lots of benefits to that. My adolescent clients are way more creative thinking, right? If you think about mm-hmm. a lot of like the greatest artists in you know throughout history or thinkers or whatever, like a lot of those were in kind of adolescent kind of stage. Maybe we don't picture mm. them like that because people used to live to forty or whatever, right? Um, but even now we see okay, people in that age range are coming up with new ideas and new solutions. Whereas once you get a little bit past that, it becomes harder, right? I mean, kind of the, can you teach an old dog new trick? That that kind of phrasing yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. things are more set in stone, right? So it makes sense. And you, it goes both ways. So if you think about the the music and the, the movies and all the things that you love for basically the rest of your life, right? If I asked a bunch of adults, I said, when was the best music? When was the time for they would say, oh, when I was growing up, that music was awesome and now it all sucks, right? right? Yes. Because you enjoyed it more. 
Except you had the 90s stronger. music really was the best. So. See, but that was your adolescence, right? <laughs> I just playing, yeah. Yeah. In 2000s, yeah. early 2000s. Right. Yeah. Because, but, yeah. because you did enjoy it more, right? You had that's like right. stronger emotional reactions, brain no, that's wise, right. body wise. So it that's makes right. sense that I mean, that's what you would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dave Matthews Band came on the scene when I was like, you know. <laughs> See, and you still like Nine, them a little bit. 10, and I'm yeah. still following them all over the country. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So I think I think from that perspective, if we say, okay, if we go back to the car metaphor, right, if we say, okay, there's a car that's zooming down the street and it's zigzagging all over and it seems a little bit out of control, <laughs> does it make yeah. more sense for us to go, hey, whoever's in there, they stink, it's their fault, they're being, you know, or to say, hey, they might not also be having a great time, they're trying they're desperately trying to steer yeah, this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we can help, right? Like maybe we right. can help navigate, you know. And so I think even just that that shift in posture That's is so helpful good. when, when looking that. at teenagers and saying like, yeah, they are also like they are trying and they are experiencing things. And like maybe we can be helpful in some way with that as opposed to assuming that they're just being ridiculous yeah. or, or whatever no, it is. No, I love that. That's so good. That's really good. That's really helpful. It certainly create you know, invites us to have a posture with more empathy and humility and I'm sure it helps. I mean, certainly as we think about attachment, you know, it helps mm. the teens too to be like, oh, they're actually more sensitive to the fact that I don't want to be driving this car in this like all over the place way. I'm trying my best um, in yeah. light of all the things. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. Just don't don't say, well, it's basically like you have a toddler's brain, right? Like that. Oh um, yeah, no, know, no, just, no, no. But yeah. no one would want to hear that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm. Well, what else? Tell me what other bad decisions or what other um, misunderstandings might we yeah. have about teens that you would like us to perhaps rethink or reimagine? Yeah. Yeah. So the second one is, that I I wrote right is that they're not making bad decisions; they're mm. using a different criteria. Uh, mm. And this one, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a lot of credit to Dr. Sarah Jane Blakemore's book, Inventing Ourselves. Uh, mm. But there's there's a, a lot of research that she lays out um, in terms of the experience of social rejection and how it is like provably much more painful for the average adolescent than it is for the average adult, which I think makes sense. Uh, that in, does you know, make sense. Yep. In caveman times or whatever, right? You like, that's the time when you go find your own people group or you need, and you start your own little, you know, whatever, right? Like, so for survival instincts, the idea of like, do I need to fit in? Do I need to have acceptance of my peers, you know, kind of tracks? And, and we get into like, well, you just don't care what people think about you, right? As a helpful phrase. But like, realistically, that's not that helpful, right? When you go to that's work, right. you need people yeah. to like you in some capacity, right? Like, Fair. so at, in middle school, high school, they do need people to like them, right? Fair. And so I, I think that's interesting in terms of if there's a, and this is again from from Dr. Blakemore, if there's like a seesaw, right? I'm picturing like a little, I'm doing a lot of motions for you, but you know. Yes, I know. A, I love seeing it. Yeah. <laughs> for like a decision-making thing, right? Uh -huh. The idea of social acceptance or social rejection or like the, the social aspects of a decision uh -huh. and then the... Uh, what happens from this aspect, right? If you think about mm -hmm. driving too fast in a car when your friends are there or like the consequences, should I do yeah. this? Right, the consequences. Yeah. For the most part, they know those things. This is why uh, traditionally like our our 
drug prevention programs in schools don't aren't super effective because they're based on like here's information and here's the bad consequences that happen or could happen right, right? they're designed mostly kind of like to scare you yeah uh, and they know that teenagers adolescents know those things right but in a what we call like a hot emotional state right in like an emotionally activated state Okay. It's not that they're making a bad decision because they don't know the consequences. It's that the criteria is different, right? So the weight of will this will this come with social acceptance or rejection? What is what is my experience of those weighs more than a theoretical consequence that happens that makes sense. afterwards, right? Yeah. So it's not it's not that they're making a bad decision and we need to work on like, well, here's some more information. How you know Yeah. Again from like a judgmental stance, but like in their experience, like the social aspect does weigh more because of course it does. Like the the core tenets of adolescence is like, who am I? And do all these people think I'm super weird or am I okay? Right? Like those are yeah. three things. And so it's they're just using a different criteria and that can be helpful in A, instead of just trying to give a bunch of information, right? We say, okay, how do we how do we put some barriers on things to where if you're going to be in hot emotional states, uh, you know, emotionally activated states where there are friends around, can we yeah. make sure that those are safe environments, right? Like to where right. the consequences can't be too out of hand, right? Right. Or can we at least have some empathy for like, you're not just being dumb here. There's the there's the lived experience of social rejection does hurt on a scale that is is greater for an, the average adolescent than the average adult. Okay, that makes. I mean, that makes sense. So. You know, so some folks might be listening and being like, well, but that's still a bad decision, right? But like what I hear sure. you saying, but what I hear you saying is that decisions are not like the decisions. We may make the decisions as adults. We're thinking about the consequences. That's how we make decisions, perhaps. Right. Whereas those who are younger, who are adolescents or in that general age range, their their decisions are not like what you're saying they're not based on consequences they're based on what are people going to think of me am i going to be liked based on how i respond to this or based on the decision i make um, right so which are still consequences good, right yeah right, that's exactly right so that it's not necessarily good or bad decision it's just important for those of us who work with teens or our parents to be thinking about the value and importance and the weight of the social acceptance Right. A lot more than we probably tend to think about when we're parenting or mentoring right. or supporting, but really right. emphasizing the value of the social acceptance and not in a way where we like change our kids or those that we work with, right? To right. be who they're not, but just right. to be right, but just to be mindful of the influence those social networks have on how they go about the day, their day and the decisions they make. Right. Is that yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think it means, you know, okay, well then whatever you need to do to fit in, let's go with that, right? Like I right. don't- No, 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 that's, right. that's right, that's right. But I think right. if we can at least anticipate and, and you know, if, you're, if your middle school says, I'm the only one that doesn't have a phone and everybody makes fun of me all the time, right? We can go, mm -hmm. okay, that's fine. Yep. If that's what, well, if that is, if that's the decision we've made for your general safety and we think that's a good, a good boundary and like, that's fine. As long as I also acknowledge, okay, there is a real- cost here yeah. for you and your lived experience as you're navigating yeah. school is that you are being left out of this group chat or whatever right like maybe yeah. that that provides like a okay I totally understand here's why we've made that decision here's some 
you know, maybe if on your laptop, we can do this thing and that way yeah, there's some, right. you know, or whatever it is, right? But, How but do that's we very keep different. That social, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's very different from like, oh, it's fine. Don't just don't listen to those kids or whatever, right? Dismissive. Like, yeah. It's Ooh. not super helpful, right? Right. But there's, there is real things there. And that's why, you know, kids are always yeah. on their phones. Like, yeah. Of course, they're always on their phones. That's how they talk to their, you know, I was on right. AOL Instant Messenger every day, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yep. That's their yep. social network. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. That's good. That's so interesting. What about, I just want to like building on this conversation. So social intern, like, I mean, obviously you've been really hinting more at the social aspect in terms of their peers. Mm-hmm. What about the social networks as it relates to like mentors, parents, family members? Like how does that fit in with yeah. thinking about that sense of belonging and where that fits in for the teens? experience and yeah 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 it certainly does factor in and it's uh i think of it kind of like as like raising the floor almost right in terms of providing a a secure base and even when we think about attachment and things like that right so the number one predictor of like the the number one like strong most strongly correlated factor of an adolescent right having kind of a, a positive overall mental health is like a positive engaging relationship with at least one adult right so like somebody who likes them and cares uh-huh. and so that does matter obviously it's a little bit different in terms of i think they play different functions right so that's why right. i said like kind that of raises sense. the floor yes, right. gives you like a secure base and so m- maybe that that safeguards against you know some things that i would like okay if there's no floor then i desperately need the approval yeah. every moment you know but yeah that doesn't mean that those things also don't hurt. It just, I think, provides like a, a secure footing maybe from there to then, okay, then I can navigate those a little more securely. Yeah. Almost, right? Well, that makes sense. And it probably, you know, it probably sets a framework perhaps for the types of social networks with friends mm. that they begin to build based sure. on, I mean, I don't know. This is not my area of expertise. I'm just thinking about, you know, teens who I know and have worked with and um, yeah. knowing that Callie is you know, when she's somewhere within that range, but, or about to be, but mm-hmm. um, anyways, so yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's interesting. Now, what about, I think you had another misunderstanding that you want to help us kind of rethink through. What was that other one? Yeah. And this is kind of the, the third one there, right? Is, is that they usually need attending, not information, right? And this is Based on okay. that, the idea that we've we've talked about before on the show, I think of of story follows state, right? And the idea being that in and this this is true of everyone. It's true to a greater extent, perhaps, of adolescents because of the the first point that we talked about of of like the levels of emotional activation, right? But if somebody is super super upset, the story, the the lens, kind of like the the readout of like yeah. what's happening follows uh-huh. their physiological state, right? So my my kind of go to example is usually like if if you have a high school daughter or if you're a youth pastor and then someone comes in, right, or something, and they say, I'm, I, they're crying and angry or whatever. They say, I have no friends. I just had a big fight with Becky and I'll never have any friends ever again and I can't go back to school and everybody always hates me, right? Cognitively, those things are not true pretty obviously, right? Mm-hmm, and so I think right. there's a temptation there to uh, respond to the information, right, to say, hey, it's okay. Remember, sometimes you guys... You fought before and there's a thousand kids at your school. They can't all hate you. And certainly we're not going to move and, it, you know, to respond with those types of things. But if we can shift 
I think for most of us, we would we would acknowledge like, yeah, there are things that I, I say in kind of my understanding of things when I'm upset that once I cool off, I, I come back down a little bit, right? Yes. Someone cuts me off and I go, yes. everybody in this city stinks right. at driving and I'm just going <laughs> to blow yeah. my car. I mean, I don't know, whatever, right? Like, yeah. And that's why when you get in a fight, then, you know, 30 seconds later you go, I really didn't mean that. I'm so sorry. Obviously, you don't always break right. the dishes, or, you know. Right. But so if we can attend to like the the physiological state, right? Hey, you do seem pretty upset. Like I, you got in a fight with your friend. That that is hurtful. I definitely understand that. Right. We can empathize with the the emotional content there. And when it comes back down, once they can kind of calm down, which for the record, like empathizing and validating the emotional component does help with anyway. Right. Then they know those things. They know that you know. Okay. It's not that everybody in the whole school hates me, right? Like usually they know they know that type of thing. And so Dr. Lisa Damore, who has fantastic books and a, a podcast that is really great, she has this example of when she was a school counselor keeping a water bottle filled with glitter. And when, when students came uh-huh. in and they were really upset, they could shake it up and sit it yep. down. And once finally kind of all the glitter settled to the bottom, they were in a different spot. And then then they could discuss the content of what was happening but in oh, the moment, it's mostly awesome. just let me validate what's happening emotionally because it is painful yeah. to fight with your best friend or to, you know, whatever's happening. And that that's true for all of us, right? Like I can empathize yeah. with being hurt or angry or scared or frustrated or whatever the thing. I, I can empathize with that without validating the or without agreeing with the, the cognitive statement you're making, right? Like right, I, right. I, can, I can do that. And that way it doesn't feel like I'm trying to be super dismissive of the emotional component, even though maybe we go, well, I'm being reassuring. Like, no, of course you'll do fine. You always trust these tests. Yeah, but I'm scared in this moment that I'll fail the test and then I'll fail out of school and then I won't ever get into college, right? Like the reassurance can sometimes come off as dismissive. And so if I can just say, yeah, you're feeling scared. I get that. You're feeling anxious about a test. Yeah, that's fair. I understand, right? Like they probably know that that test doesn't mean that they'll never get a job ever, right? So, like, if we can if we can attend first and then have the conversation once they've you know kind of once the glitter has settled, usually that ends up being like a little more helpful. That's awesome. I mean, I think um, one the glitter thing. I love that. I think we we actually did that with Callie uh, and Oliver at one point where they got to make one, but I think they yeah. had glue in it too. Yeah, yeah, because like, the glue makes helped, it like a little. Yeah, it helps yeah. slow it down. Mm-hmm. And we would do that just to help them. We didn't do it so that then they would talk about it after, but it was just a way for them to like mindfully watch the glitter slowly fall and just so that they could breathe and like calm down yeah. and have something to focus on instead of all that was happening within them. Yeah. So, it, it's also like calming kind of to, like, to watch yeah. sensory, right? Like, Maybe that's why. For sure. Yeah. So I love that you brought that up. Little. And with each of these, when you're talking about, I mean, you you really hit the nail on the head, I think, with that layer of not wanting to be dismissive, because I feel like with each of these different misunderstandings that we've talked through, like there is kind of an undercurrent of dismissing, you know, just dismissing like their current experience. And so if we can be equipped with attuning more carefully to what the experience is like for this age group, given the importance of social networks and connections, given what is happening within their brain development that is different than an adult. Like they don't have the brain development that an adult does. So we can't expect them 
Yeah. Um, and that's not it. I'm not saying that to talk down or anything. It's just they right. don't have those those pieces of equipment, like going back to the car analogy, it is different and clunky. And so how they use all of their cognitive abilities and functioning and thought processes and hormones, and it's just different based on yeah. where they are. Yeah, so, and then and we can offer kind of that scaffolding to help them yes. develop those, right? When we when we yes. talk about neuroplasticity, the idea of if if you're in crisis and I and I say, okay, I, I can attend to you, you know, crisis being like an emotional component, and I can attend and I can understand, and I can validate, and then once you've you know once you've cooled off a little bit, right? I, I can say, okay, have you had have you had fights with a friend before? Okay, you have. Okay, uh, well, what what did you do then? Okay, did that did yeah. that work? Did that not? Right? Yeah. Like if I can help walk you through some of that, but I'm letting you kind of think through it, right? Like I'm not just saying, oh, yeah. well, you should just go apologize. Then you're having the experience of solving those things, of thinking through, of okay, maybe next time I do this instead of that, right? Like if I say, okay, well, yeah. what led to that? What 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 would have gone differently, right? Like if I'm helping you do that, then I'm helping you have those experiences, which is what yeah. then helps develop some of that, right? So yeah, you know, again, it, if we go back to the the car thing, right? Like instead of like, hey, get out of the car, you're being terrible, right? If I go, okay. Is there somewhere where the streets are a little wider? Is when have you not crashed? Is there a place? Oh, yeah. okay, over there. Oh, the field. Yeah. Okay, that's a good idea. Okay, all right. You know, like if I can help <laughs> with some of that, then that just that helps grow some of the decision making or the concept or whatever. You know, I love all the that. types of things that we tend to think of as like you should be able to do this once you get past. Yeah, 10, no, right. You know? That's right. There, they those those should oh, those right. Are yeah, not helpful too. They probably circle back to the social layers of the teen's mm. experience and like yeah. shitting and shame is just it's not mm -hmm. helpful but equipping them with the skills and the critical thinking and reflection i think you're right that then carries them forward when they have future situations that they can apply those skills to so yeah that's awesome yeah. well i'm curious if you have any I mean, I feel like you gave us so many great tips of things to be thinking about within any of these situations. But are there are there any tips like knowing again that, you know, it's going to vary based on each parent and each or each adult and each child, yeah. you know, in each adolescent's current living, you know, all of their their current situation <laughs> and circumstances. So I really want to be attuned to those unique layers that each teen yeah. navigate. But are there some general things that you would like our listeners to really be holding on to or thinking about or maybe integrating beyond this, you know, today's conversation? Yeah, I think if there was like one overarching thing, right, that I think mm -hmm. kind of transcends the the different situations and things, right? It's and this is going to be, you know, if you've listened to the show for a while, you're going to say like, okay, yes, cool, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. being curious about things instead of of judgmental, and and that goes for things like the idea that they're they're the expert of the environment of their school. So like, of course, if they say this, this is happening and this is happening, okay, that that may be true. I don't I don't know. I'm not there, right? They know how the the social jungle of their school works. So being curious about some of that, or even thinking about trends or music or whatever, right? Like one of the most interesting, some of the most interesting conversations I get to have with my adolescent clients, you know, if I say, hey, what kind of music are you listening to? Or what, what kind of movies do you like? Or what's your hobbies or whatever, right? It, I don't need, they, I'm 33. They know that I'm not cool, right? Like I don't need to pretend <laughs> like I know and I understand. 
But if they say, oh, this person, I go, oh, let me hear one. Oh, interesting. Okay, what yeah, what is it about yeah. this that you like, right? Even if I go, That's this good. music is straight up bad because, again, I'm 33. It's not bad. It's not what I like. That's fine. But, like, what's happening? What What is this interesting to you, right? Like, oh, what is it mm, that you resonate I with? Is that. it the, the lyrics or is it the general vibe where it seems like the guy's a little bit angry? Or is it, th- right? Like, if I can be kind of curious I about love it. that, yeah. Ask those kind of open-ended questions instead of going, like, Oh, this music's bad. I'm not going to listen to this. Okay, fine. Like, uh, you, y'all listen to terrible stuff or whatever, right? Like, no, there's, there's a reason that the things that resonate with younger generations are resonating the same way that there was for you, right? Like your parents yep. hated your music. My parents didn't like my music, right? Like that's uh, how it goes. But there's a reason that those things matter, right? So, you know, whatever TikTok trend or whatever, right? If you're like, yeah, these things are so dumb. Well, okay, hold on. That well, may like, be true what is from your perspective, it? but there's something yeah. there that does matter, right? There's something there. There's a reason, you know, whether you agree with the reason or not, is doesn't really matter. What matters is like, okay, that, t- that I, I'm learning something about you because of what matters to you, right? Yeah. Um, which is just a very different way and takes a lot of, it takes an intentional, it, that's hard to do, right? Like I have kids, I get it, you know, like yeah. sometimes it's it's easy to not go that route and, but sometimes if you try. No, I think that's really that's really good advice, I think, for us to be considering. And I think that is something that each of us can integrate, you know, and, and it's not just to like, I know you were talking about like, you know, what do you what not to say, but to use language that communicates curiosity. But I would imagine, too, that the, there probably is a degree of practice as well in in our uh, physiological response to it. For so sure. like, yeah. you know, you don't want to, you know, have this like sour look on your face. It's like, oh, that music's terrible. They'll be like, oh, <laughs> tell me what you like about that. Because the, yeah. the, the adolescent is going to pick up on that really quickly and be like, they're not being genuine in terms of their curiosity. So maybe finding ways for folks to practice that curious posture and probably early, like before adolescence, like continuing to engage at all as far back as they can in terms of their their kids. Again, whether you're a parent or whether you're a teacher or whatever role you're serving adolescents, but but practicing it earlier so that, you know, yeah. while extending grace, if you do, you know, scrunch your face when yeah. that music comes on and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. There's a... I'll, I'll point to one more. There's a, a fantastic book called Parenting a Teen Who Has Intense Emotions. And even if you're not parenting, mm. I think it's super, super helpful. But the, there's a, a whole first chunk of it about the the importance of being aware of your own stuff as well, right? Because if if my daughter comes home and she's super sad, again, I'm going back to the example because all her friends hate her or whatever. If yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. respond to that with my own you know, oh, how dare somebody upset my daughter? I'm going to go fight this other parent. Or if I respond with like, I can't handle you crying, so I just need you to stop crying. That's the main thing. I can't, right? Like, it, yeah. I, I need to be aware of all that stuff before I can do, you know, before I can do any of the other stuff we've talked about. And so it goes along with what you're talking about there of like, yeah, I need to have some practice with that and know that I'm not going to get it 100% right. You know, if if I'm a little snippy with my kids and then I say, hey, you know what? That that was on me. That, that's not I would like to be like tell tell me more. I want I do want to listen. I'm sorry about that. I think those things you know we've talked about rupture and repair type stuff yeah. before. That practice is is helpful. Yeah. No, I think that's so good. And I think you're a hundred percent right on in terms of the reaction. 
and also holding space for thinking about when I was my daughter's age or when I was mm. my kid's age. And if somebody did that to me, yeah. you know, what was that like? So that we're not projecting that stuff onto our kids. You know, there's a degree of it where it can be empathy, where I think our own lived experience can create space for empathy. But especially when we've done our work, tending to some of those experiences versus, you know, stuffing it far down. And, and you know, and I'm not I'm not blaming anybody who stuffs their emotions or experiences down because that's how we survive those hard seasons and experiences. Yeah. Um, but making sure that we hold space for those so that when our kid or the teens, their adolescents that we're working with um, come to us with similar stories, we're not like, oh, I'm going to uproot this hugely horrible story mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, make you carry that alongside what you're going through right now. So, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, kind of the idea of like, okay, in, in a moment, if I'm trying to respond to you, if I can notice what's happening and then that's right, set it aside for a minute, but then that's later right. on, you know, after, uh, after you're good and you go on and do whatever, if I can go, I was pretty bad just then. Like that was interesting. Yeah. Okay. Again, being curious towards myself and not judgmental. That's right. That's right. Well, there you go. What was, go. It? What was happening the there, right? This is where, and this is where a therapist you... comes in, right? But like right. The, the way that I get better at that in the future is A, by practice, but then also, oh, maybe there's some stuff happening there that I do need to kind of sort out so that next time it's not, I'm not just doing the same thing, right? Like I don't want to just survive that moment and then never go back to that, right? Like I, I do want to revisit that of, of how my own my own experience of, of those interactions went. Oh, that's yeah. so good. That's so good. Yeah. And I think I think that layer of practicing it kind of probably within yourself in terms of that curiosity is is also a safe place probably to start. And then yes, yeah. as you mentioned, you know, seeking mental health treatment or therapy or having a safe space, hopefully to be able to turn to to process is so good. Yeah. Well, just like we ask each of our guests about the their um, the amazing work that they do, I would be curious, what is your hope for the work that you are doing right now with your clients, with that 75% caseload with adolescents and young adults, and just for the work that you're doing and trying to better understand and serve adolescents? Like, what is the hope that you have for this work? Yeah, I think with my clients, broadly speaking, obviously, you know, individually, I hope they all have an easier time of, of things, right? Yeah. But broadly speaking, I think, you know, if if we can harness the the uniqueness of adolescence, and I talked about kind of the the increase in neuroplasticity, right? Like, which means that it, it's one of the easiest remaining times life-wise to like learn things and develop new skills and to practice things, right? Like if your brain is is a little bit more plastic and malleable during that time because it's already upgrading stuff, then that's a really good time to learn some regulation or to learn how to navigate some things or to, to practice whatever, right? Like to learn healthy rhythms and ways of navigating, like all, all of that stuff. And so I have this like theory that if we got every high schooler in the country into like with a really good therapist, like right now, yes. then perhaps in 20 years, we would have less, you know, of all sorts of stuff on yeah. social media and all, you know, like, I don't know, just like, yeah. maybe we'd be in a better spot. Um, yeah. But then e even kind of beyond that in terms of this episode or like trainings that I do for youth groups or, or college ministries, right? I think helping to to ripple that outwards and talk to people that then can try and help hold those safe spaces and to respond to 
the adolescents in their life in different ways so that those adolescents have different experiences, right? Like all, all of that kind of ripple stuff that I know we talk about so often, um, just trying to, to shift some of the posture there of teenagers being hard and difficult. And it, it is hard, obviously, if somebody's like more emotionally reactive, that's hard to navigate, right? Like that's fair enough. But approaching that with a different kind of lens than like, oh, teens, you know? Yeah, no, I to- I totally hear you. And I so appreciate your heart for serving this population um, because it is a vulnerable time for for these individuals, for, for each of us who kind of go through that stage because it, you know, it shapes a lot of our lives thereafter, whether it's yeah. again with the, the social net connections, whether it's with those consequences, whether it's, you know, thinking about how do we think through with skills different situations that we're navigating um, to just equip us throughout the rest of our lives. It's such a short window, but it has such a long impact on our Mm -hmm. lives. And as you mentioned, ripples out so far past. So, well, I am so thankful that we had this chance to get to chat. Um, And so for our listeners, if you'd like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-4.com or on any social media at robert 4 if you want to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or at any social media at hollyoxhandler. Um, if you want to connect with the show, you can find us at cxmhpodcast.com or on any social media at cxmhpodcast. Robert, thank you so much for letting me kind of shuffle the chairs a little bit today and mm-hmm. get to interview you and talk about this topic that you are so, so passionate about. I really appreciate it. Um, is there any closing thoughts that you have for our listeners today? No, I mean, thank you for for letting a, an episode be about kind of my passionate area there. Um, it's always so fun to, again, just have the two of us instead of instead of always a guest, although we obviously love our guests. Absolutely. Uh, and of course. I'll, I'll say I'll dump a bunch of resources and links and stuff into the show notes that, that people can go check out. But yeah, I think I would just say, you know, to, to go be curious and, and learn about some of what's happening and be more curious about it and empathetic. I love it. That's awesome. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH podcast at gmail.com. 